All the colors fade away. Take me to another day. Oh, I cannot break. But if I believe that I can fly, would you come and float away with me tonight? And if I believe, if I decide, would you come away with me? Be unafraid to be alive. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Get Mental. Yes, this is Cecile Aaron's your host. Thank you for being with us today. Today's show is on the subject of grief and loss. It's a very difficult topic, I know, but one that is familiar to us all. And I think another important conversation to be had. I've been touched by a few deaths in the family uh, in the last couple of years. And, you know, life can get heavy and hard when we are grieving a loss, especially losses that happen one after another, which is what's happened for me and my family. So this show is dedicated to um, my Aunt Chuchi, my Aunt Wilma, and my Uncle Wancho, both who passed away um, just very recently in the last couple of years. So we also have a wonderful guest, Miss Angela Breedy, chaplain at Seaport Hospice, who will be joining us today to help us illuminate to help illuminate us on this very difficult and heavy subject. And for those of you new to the show, Get Mental is uh, a radio show and podcast where we discuss all things mental health and normalize conversations about mental health. And I am the owner of Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual couples and family counseling. You can check us out at transcendtherapyca.com. And you may also listen to our podcast, Get Mental, on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. Um, Okay. So, you know, the experience of grief and loss, although common, is probably one of the most difficult and painful times in our lives. The pain, the shock, the sadness anger, sometimes the relief, right, if, if the death process has been uh, slow and taxing and if your loved one has been in pain, you can feel relieved. Um, sometimes it can create depression, anxiety, despair, disconnection, the roller coaster ride that is grief. So what is grief? Let's just talk about that for a couple of seconds. It's really simple. The Mayo Clinic defines grief as the natural reaction to loss, to death or loss. And by the way, you know, grief isn't just about someone's, someone dying, okay? And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. So it's a universal experience. N- nobody escapes this feeling or event, um, and it is, it is also a very personal experience. We all have our grief journey. So grief is normal, but I think, you know, when we think of grief, we just tend to think about it, like I said, in terms of someone dying. But it comes in many forms and has many different faces. We can grieve not only the death of a loved one or a pet, but also the end of a relationship um, with a spouse, partner, or friend. We can grieve the loss of a job, of a dream, of material possessions, such as a house, if you were one of those people who lost their home because of the fires, for example, or hurricane, right? We can grieve our aging minds and bodies, our loss of independence, autonomy, cognitive and physical abilities we, you know, one may have once enjoyed in youth, or you may have lost some of those abilities because of disease or, or disability, right? Um, We can grieve the loss of our identity, our sexuality, our dignity, for example, if you were abused. Uh, For some of us, we can grieve our children growing up, moving out, living out their own lives. Um, Many of the vets I've worked with often experience layers and layers of loss, loss of life, right? All the things they experience, loss of limb, loss of other fellow soldiers, civilian casualties, loss of innocence, sometimes loss of hope or faith in humanity, loss of meaning and purpose, especially after uh, deployment and so forth. So although there are similar emotions and thoughts that we all experience when we grieve, um, 
we all, there are also emotions that are just unique to us, uh, to each of us. The impact of grief will vary from person to person, depending on the type of, and nature of the loss, your coping skills, your support system, whether you um, experienced prior losses, right, which can compound your grief, how far apart the losses were, and how you yourself are making sense of the loss. I would also add here your spiritual orientation, um, I think, can greatly influence how you grieve and how you cope. So, you know, the other thing, too, is the experience of grief can also be traumatic um, and tragic. And it can um, also be prolonged, you know, such as in the case of somebody who is chronically ill or dealing with a progressive illness. So loss and the process of grieving, I think that's why it's so hard. It's because it can be cruel, torturous, destabilizing, shocking, numbing, grounding, while absolutely depressing. It can drop you down to your knees, send you into despair and darkness, make you deathly afraid, confused, helpless, hopeless, overwhelmed, paralyzed. Don't mean to be a Debbie Downer here, but this is what happens um, to, to most of us. Um, the good news is, you know, most of us don't get stuck in that, right? But a lot of these emotions are normal to a certain extent, and I'll talk a little bit about when it becomes not normal, when it becomes complicated grief or major depression. You know, they say the first year is the hardest year to get through, right? Because you have all these anniversaries to get through. You have all the other reminders and the triggers to endure in that first year, and then the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year. Um, and if you're not getting better, if you're not getting any help or support, it can feel like suffering forever, right? Prolonged suffering. That's why I call it like it's death like by a thousand cuts because it can, um, the effects can keep going, you know, and sometimes grief can show its sting in ways you don't expect, like, a, like an unannounced, uninvited visitor, right? All the, rem the, the what-ifs, the could-have-beens, the should-have-beens. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she's the psychiatrist who recognized a pattern of grieving that we now know to be as the stages of grief, um, identified the following stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Okay, denial, anger, bar bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Unfortunately, we do not go through these stages in a smooth sequential order. One moment you can feel sad, then a couple of hours later you could be in full acceptance, and then the next day you could be absolutely angry and depressed again. So that's the nature of grief. That's why I believe it's really, really challenging for people going through uh, their grief process, especially in the beginning stages. Additionally, we also have our own grief journey, which means you may have other emotions and experiences outside of that, right? You can feel guilty. That's a big one I see a lot, especially if there's a lot of unresolved issues between you and a loved one. The guilt, the shame, the anxiety, the feelings of disconnection, helplessness, and, you know, like I often tell my clients, grief comes in waves, right? Just, you know, think of, picture a wave and what happens to a wave, right? If we ride the wave, if we go with it, it gets better. We get to shore usually. And it's the same thing with the emotional process of grieving. It usually gets better, better and easier in time because we have this incredible capacity as humans to heal and to integrate the stuff that happens to us. But for some, grieving can go past the point of normal grief. And this is sometimes known as complicated grief. And complicated grief is a type of grief that is prolonged, um, usually doesn't get better, and sometimes gets worse. So what are some of the symptoms of complicated grief? And this is from the Mayo Clinic. Rumination over the loss an unhealthy preoccupation with the death or the loss, say a divorce or a breakup, extreme focus on reminders of your loved one or excessive avoidance of reminders, intense persistent longing or pining for the deceased, problems accepting the death, numbness or detachment, uh, feeling that life holds no meaning or purpose, lack of trust in others, 
inability to enjoy life or think back on positive experiences with your loved one, having trouble carrying out normal routines, and so forth. Grief can also lead to clinical depression, also known as major depressive disorder. And there's a significant difference between feeling sad and devastated and being clinically depressed. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about what depression, clinical depression looks like. Depressed mood, most days, significant changes in appetite, significant changes in your weight, significant sleep disturbance. This is where you're either experiencing insomnia or what we call hypersomnia when you're sleeping a lot. Marked fatigue, loss of energy and motivation, lack of enjoyment or pleasure in activities you once enjoyed, worthlessness and feelings of guilt, problems, significant problems with concentration, difficulty making decisions, even the little decisions, recurrent thoughts of death and suicide. Five of these symptoms must be experienced for at least two weeks and may not be due to another medical condition. And one of the five symptoms must be the depressed mood most days and uh, the diminished pleasure, which we call anhedonia. So I think it's important for people to dis distinguish that because if you have entered a depressive state, there is help, there is support. Um, grief can also trigger a stress response in our bodies that can result in you know, lower immunity, getting, getting sick a lot, the common cold, um, unexplained somatic physical symptoms, sometimes even heart disease and cancer. So again, if you or someone you know is experiencing this, please call a therapist. You don't have to suffer alone. There are real solutions and effective uh, treatment for these things. If you live in California, we can help you. TranscendTherapyCA.com. TranscendTherapyCA.com. We can help you cope with the loss, identify your triggers, um, assess for depression, for complicated grief. And like I said, you know, we can help you heal and move forward. Accepting the death of someone or the end of something that was once special or important is perhaps one of our biggest challenges in, in life. I see it really as one of our biggest spiritual challenges. Again, I have a, a strong faith in God. That's why, um, that's why I see it that way. Some people may not, you know. Nothing else reminds us of our own mortality and limitation in such an immediate and arresting way than grief and loss. We can't make people love us. We can't make people stay. We can't prevent certain deaths and catastrophes. Things will break, fall apart. We can't prevent aging, sagging, wrinkling. We can't stop our kids from growing. We can't stop a storm from coming. We can't cure everything. Grief and loss, everybody, is inevitable. It is inevitable. It forces us to zoom in on what really matters most in life whether we want to acknowledge it or not, like a mirror that keeps inviting you, sometimes forcing you, coercing you, to look at your own image and confront your own fears and resistance to loss. They say change is the most important thing in the world, and that statement makes perfect sense until you have a grief and loss experience that challenges your own resilience. Grief can be intellectualized, right? We all know it's coming. We all know it's going to happen. But... It's the embodiment and acceptance of this that is very, very difficult. And this is where therapy can help. This is where a mindfulness practice can help. This is where a spiritual orientation can help. You know, it doesn't have to be the stuff made of monks and spiritual gurus, right? Why can't we, the lay person, cultivate a healthier relationship with our own life, our own bodies, our own limitations, our own death? And I believe that we can. But again, it's a practice, one that we must return to over and over and over and over again. So one of my professional uh, mentors, Michael Keller, who's also a licensed clinical social worker, very, very wise man, said something to me that I have never forgotten. Death should not be avoided. Death should not be avoided. So simple, yet so profound and so incredibly complicated. Because, you know, it's so hard not to, right? It's, it's just part of our human nature to not want to think about unpleasant, scary things. So 
Um, I'll let you sit with that and process that in your own time and in your own way. Um, so if death should not be avoided, right, and if this is uh, the inevitable, how then do we confront it with grace and love? How do we live with it? So here today to help us unpack this and illuminate us with her wisdom and experience is Ms. Angela Reedy, chaplain at Seaport Hospice in San Diego. But in the meantime, here's a short word from one of our sponsors, Ortiz Market. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Supporting local business isn't always convenient, but at Ortiz Market, it is. Ortiz Market has all your shopping needs right at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. They're family-owned and operated and feature a huge selection of local beverages. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll order it for you. That means you can get what you want without the long lines you find at big-name supermarkets. The best part is they care about serving our community and are here to join the fight to destigmatize mental health and let people know you are not alone. Visit Ortiz Market today at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido. Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Get Mental. Today's show is on the subject of grief and loss. So here today to help us unpack this and illuminate us with her wisdom and experience is Ms. Angela Reedy, chaplain at Seaport Hospice in San Diego. Hi there, Angela. Good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. We really appreciate you taking time out of, I'm sure, your very busy schedule to share with us your experience and wisdom in uh, in such a difficult and, uh, I think, uh, challenging subject to talk about for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for uh, reaching out. Yes. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do exactly as a chaplain at Seaport Hospice. Yes. Um, you know, as a chaplain, I think that first and foremost, kind of to get this out there, there's yeah. definitely a connotation with that word um, that's yes. associated. And you know, there was a time in history where chaplain um, was very, uh, really a Christian context or religious connotation. And um, is it not you know, anymore? You know, it it is shifting, and I think that that's important to address that um, spirituality versus religion, right? Yes. And so yes. that's really about the whole person relationships. Um, things that are at our core of that we're just um, innately connected to people from birth, right? I mean, it's, right. it's from birth where we're always establishing and reestablishing losing relationships. And so Absolutely. as a chaplain, um, you know, with, with uh, Seaport or just as chaplain in general, a big focus about that is um, how can we kind of stand or bridge the gap when people are losing relationships in a hospice context? Right. Um, but at any rate, I, uh, as far as me goes, I've been with Seaport um, for about six months, actually, and relatively new with that company specifically. Yeah. Um, I myself am a Navy veteran. I have worked oh, with the VA, um, mental health, uh, the clinic in Mission Valley, and and um, do some work with PTSD and and overall just grief and and loss. I think if you find yourself in this business, it's probably because you have experience with it. So, right. <laughs> you know, um, yes. I've, I've yeah, you know, I, I know it probably speaks truth to um, listeners and just people who are just in this industry as as a whole. Yes. But uh, myself, having dealt with multiple losses, cancer, sudden death, suicides, things like that, right. um, when it comes to to those types of griefs. But then also, I mean, grief is dynamic. It's just not related to death, and right. I think that's really important too. I was gonna um, you know. suggest. I was gonna sorry, um, mention that that you know, I think every single human have had personal mm-hmm. their own experiences of grief, and it's it isn't just about about death. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not. It's not. Um, and I don't want to take the focus too far away from, you know, the hospice, but that is very, very important to remember is that grief, um, it's a disconnection from, mm-hmm. from relationships, from things that we perceive to be uh, foundational, right. you know, and that right. can look a lot of things, things that change our worldview whether that's uh, from a spiritual or religious context or biblical, you'll hear that term. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, especially when harm is caused onto someone from another, you know, and what we would perceive to just be a very um, evil, really. I'm going to kind of use that word, you know, especially in light of everything that's going on today in the world, um, that there's issues of of social justice, there's issues of of, um, anything that fractures or breaks what we perceive to be, quote, normal or Mm -hmm. something that we Mm -hmm. really, there is grief process involved. Right. The level of it, boy, is it complex. There is not a cookie cutter one size fits all. That's for sure. Yes. So, um, Angela, you know, I think I'm going to need to get you back here anyway, just so we could talk about this more in depth and at length, because there's so many different facets. Is not enough time. No. Right. (laughs) But going back to just the hospice aspect of Mm -hmm. of grief, um, what what would you say are the common symptoms and difficulties? you see people struggle with the most when they are in the process of death or dying? Yes, Um, it's a great question. So I'm going to always try to bring it back to that hospice context. Um, And just to kind of understand really what hospice is, if I may, or the philosophy is hospice, Mm -hmm. is really, um, you know, in order to qualify or be a candidate for hospice care, one Mm -hmm. must be determined by a doctor to have a terminal illness that if left untreated or without medical intervention would most likely cause the person who is suffering from that illness to die within approximately a six-month period. And so I'm going to be using language like that, death, dying. And that's another thing we'll get to is this evocative. It's evocative. I know. And that creates emotion. It stimulates feelings. And but I um, can't help but go there. That's kind of why I'm doing this show is to help people, you know, have these very difficult conversations, but in an easy to digest, hopefully relatable manner. Yeah, that's and that's it. And 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 that is kind of what chaplains do, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a hospice context. It's it's um. I, I can bear being someone, putting someone kind of on the spot, so to speak, because I think that what we see um, in the hospice context is you have what you would call once once someone comes onto service or there that acknowledgement rather that we're not going to decide. And I say we because sometimes it's it is and can be a very um, multifaceted decision. So you have. Children who are making decisions, maybe for parents who have had a stroke or something where they cannot verbalize their wishes. Yes. Um, You have certain types of, I mean, it it can just go on. You know, Mm -hmm. we can go down a rabbit hole of all All different scenarios. Yes. Yeah. What we find oftentimes, you often find an elderly population. Yep. Um, Children obviously are also, there are terminal illnesses with children. um, And there's a great company here in San Diego that, that works with that. But um, you know, for the most part, you're looking at what would we would consider an elderly population, or let's just say, met, you know, Social Security eligible, senior, and older. senior age, yeah, yes. senior, mm-hmm. right, exactly, um, is the usual. But at any rate, once hospice is is um, established and and the care begins, there's what we would call anticipatory grief. Right. There's this idea that this yeah. is coming and yes. that there's no control. And so um, what some of the dynamics that you see are people really face, number one, with their own mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times really an interdependence relationship. Um, what do you mean by that? There's there's role adjustments. Um, ah, let's say that it. the party who is the one who is, is dying or is in their dying or coming to that they're, they're the reality that um, we can prepare for them to no longer be able to pay the bills or do the things, the tasks, the roles that they have kind of um, fulfilled within their family dynamic or context. Right. And uh-huh. so sometimes people are a lot better prepared for that than others. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes that has never been a thought. Yeah. Would you, would you say, though, that for the person who is facing their own death, um, mm-hmm. that that is a difficult process for most people? Or w- oh, what do you what absolutely, do you see? Absolutely. A lot of times it has to do um, with cognition. And when I say cognition, I, I mean, you know, their uh, mental capacity that they have to understand what's happening. Right. So we'll, for the context of this, we'll stick it with the person who does have the mental capacity to mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. 
And in that, boy, there's a lot of fear. There's a fear. lot of fear. It's fear of the unknown. Right. You know, we fear don't Fear of know. leaving your loved ones. Yes, absolutely. This this acknowledgement that that um, things are changing. They will never be the same for both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, awareness that loss of um, senses are failing, abilities, motor skills, right. independence, um, this, this shift that we're having to uh, be dependent on others now for, mm-hmm. for bodily for everything, for, for yeah. eating, for everything. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's, um, it's, it's so multifaceted that just to target one really doesn't do it justice because there's a plethora of what's going on. Right. Um, I Fear and really, sadness, I would say, like deep oh, despair. Absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. And what's interesting about that is people express that very differently. So right. one of the things that Good I point. would encourage or going through this is that at one day or one time, the answer to the, that question is no. But the next day it's different or later that day it's different or it changes, it shifts. It's very fluid as far as the emotions go. Right. Um, Which is the, the grief the, process, right? Exactly. That's the whole. So this is, I mean, that, that anticipatory, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's before the actual event is happening or while things seem to be fading. Mm. Um, and that kind of goes for the person who's dying and the family members. We, we have a way psychologically, physiologically even to recognize what is essential and what is not Right. And so a lot of times when when the person who's dying is realizing that their exit is near, um, they might start giving away belongings. Things that you see in other um, suicides, you know, or yes. other, other, other. Uh, <clears throat> there's a preparation. People despite the withdraw. Exactly. Despite the mixed exactly. emotions, there's a preparation, exactly. it sounds like. Yeah. There is. Mm-hmm. And some and people might be maybe doing behaviors that they just can't put a finger on it, mm. or they could be paralyzed. I mean, it really mm-hmm. there is no. It's a pendulum, you know. Yeah. It really is. It yeah. will go from one extreme to the next. It changes, and sitting with somebody in that is very difficult. But it's really difficult for them too. Oh, I can imagine. Um, I've actually just been personally touched by loss uh, less than a week ago. So this is what inspired me to do this. But in the case okay. of my aunt. You know, she passed away four days after diagnosis, which I know is really unusual. Mm-hmm. But the grief mm-hmm. process for myself and my family members, you know, is re- has been intense because it, it was just so soon and shocking uh, and yeah. sudden. Mm-hmm. Does right, that, a sudden. Right. Mm-hmm. Does that? Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I imagine you don't see that a lot in in hospice care. Well, it's interesting because. You um, going back to what what qualifies someone is this expectation, right? That someone may die within. We sometimes see people come onto That's service true. similar to what you're describing, right? Um, days or, or a week or two or mm-hmm. months, maybe right mm-hmm. before, or people who are admitted to hospice and they and we continue their care and we've been caring for them for two years, two plus years. Right. You know, we're. I guess it could go either way. It really can. It mm-hmm. really can. But in, in to what to speak to to what you're talking about specifically, where the in a in a hospice context, <clears throat> it's not as common to be uh, just within the first few days. Usually, people come on to hospice service within about two weeks. That would be the closest, but it does happen, like you're describing. Wow, it does, and it's a, this. On a team, you know, part of the hospice is an interdisciplinary team. We have our physician, our, yeah. our nurses, mm-hmm. chaplains, social work. Um, those are part of the core members of the team. Mm-hmm. We also have volunteers that will come and sit in because respite is very important. Um, yes. It's exhausting to be oh. a caregiver, to be at that heightened state yep. of just anticipation. Yes. It will, I mean, we talk about how stress affects our bodies, but this is this totally new, you know, stress times. Oh, and I'm going to do a whole show just on caregivers because it is, oh my God, they do such important work, but it is really hard on their bodies. It is. And it's Mm -hmm. so hard. I mean, and their spirit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Their Mm -hmm. soul. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, it's one of the most difficult things to be powerless and to, um, death is not this Hollywood glamorized, you know, 
I just want to go to sleep and then that's it. A lot of times that's not what it looks like. And it's messy, um, right? It's not always this yeah. peaceful, clean process, even mm-hmm. when you're no. in hospice care. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's something that as hospice, um, we're able to really educate and kind of come alongside and say, this is what you're going to expect. And I'll give you an example of Mm -hmm. something of people's um, eyes not being able to close, or Mm. what we call these agonal breathings or pauses, things Mm. that sound like rattling in their chest. And what the body does, it's the body, right? Right. It's Um, it's a natural process, but it is... It's a natural process, yes, but but it is not of our own, I think a lot of it is our fears, right? Of our own mortality that makes witnessing that process very, very difficult. It is. I mean, the fear of pain with dying is is one of the number ones, right? I mean, we just ask ourselves that question. How do you want to, well, I don't want to be in pain. That's kind of the number one answer. People say yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in pain. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. That's mm-hmm. another answer, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things um, mm-hmm. that we as a hospice usually will encounter often. And again, that really has to do with how relationships were, what people culture has a lot to do with on um, this process. They're absolutely Western culture. Yeah. We mm-hmm. don't do good with you. I always know we don't. That. I think <laughs> we do. We're terrible at it. You know, Yeah, we're all about like, how do we live our lives? I just um, yeah. mentioned that in my episode last week, but we're so bad at thinking about how do we want to die? You know, how right. do we relate to our death in a, in a healthy way? Right, right. This cycle. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, our, you know, Western or medicine, we even really kind of perpetuate, you know, it's bigger, bad, bigger, faster, longer right. at any length. And this is the, the question we ask ourselves: to what end, mm-hmm. to what end do we mm-hmm. do those things? Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be, we want to have the comfort. We want to be able to die on our own terms. Right. You know, this, this dying That's with self-determination philosophy. Yep. Um, especially when your body is failing, you have no control. But the one thing often we really try to encourage is, is control over the things we do, which is interesting. You know, the serenity prayer, it's, right. it's a faith prayer. It's very common in, so um, you know, recovery, right. It, but the basis it's is so... accepting things we cannot change. Yes. And I bet know? that's a process, not just for the person, you know, dying, but for mm-hmm. family members. Speaking yes. of family members, um, what do you often see them struggle with the most? Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I always preface this with there's many, many layers and a lot of different um, of uh, structures, right? So what one of the things that, um, that we'll see a lot is, and I'm going back to the, um, that role reversal or mm-hmm. that interdependence relationship, yeah. um, understanding the significance of the relationship. If this person who's dying was um, a financial provider, okay, so the person who, who maybe is experiencing the loss is now complicated by the fact that they're going to have to come up with their own means. Um, it, it really has a lot to do with what role that person played in the individual who is left remaining life. Gotcha. Some people who, um, and so that kind of goes in those levels, right? Is right. that if the relationships are fractured or estranged, or there was something that happened, um, reconciliation, mm. right? Did something happen? Mm. These very core meaning and direction. There right. are some core spiritual elements, and I call them spiritual because they're really something that exists in everyone. Right. You know, as just a being, regardless of where you fall on a religious scale or not. Right. You know, right. we have a sense of purpose. We want a meaning and direction. How do we make sense of this? Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, you know, do you help with that, Angela? Like, oh, help? absolutely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny though that it's not funny. I guess I shouldn't say what's what's interesting. Rather, is that getting people drawing that out of someone who is in this process takes a lot of time. Oh, and it's not fast to just assess and. Everyone has their own process, and right. I think that what works for one may not work for the other. So how do we not impose our processing of grief right. and respect someone else and not cause further harm? For example, wife dies, they've been married for 60 years, children mm. think that dad needs to get out, right. right? And no, you can't spend the whole day in the bedroom. Um, why not? Why can't he? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a very fine line, but we, and I know you talked about these stages, depression is one of them. Mm -hmm. And when I say depression, I I mean that can we allow ourselves the space to be sad, be angry, feel emotions. Yeah, yeah, because they all belong. All those feelings belong. belong. Yeah, that's right. And the work that their time. And the work that we do, sorry, um, I think is is similar in some ways, right? Like we're really holding the space for people. And like you said, being super aware of not imposing your own beliefs on what they should be doing or where they should be and how should they be processing the Mm -hmm. loss. So do you ever refer to a therapist? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, You know, especially uh, what we would call, we have, you know, there's different types of grief. I know you'll talk about this disenfranchised, complicated, Mm -hmm. uncomplicated, Mm -hmm. and they're just clinical terms for how, you know, all the, all the layers that are involved. Um, What it means to be human. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Right. You're, we're human. And that's why we talked about that evocative language, um, trying to stimulate feelings because we don't want to feel when the feeling or the primary is pain, right? We will do anything. It's a survival thing. Mm -hmm. We will do anything to avoid that. We're designed that way. Right. We can only take so much. We can only process so much in, in certain doses. So, um, what I find is that when it comes to caring for loved ones or referring to a therapist, um, if people are really having a difficulty, because they'll think, oh, you're a chaplain or you're a bereavement, what can you offer me, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so if I don't have this this professional title of a therapist or a licensed social worker or, or however that looks like for someone, right. it can be a barrier. Uh-huh. It can be a barrier for them being able, and on the opposite is also true that some people will, they want to see a clergy or they want it. That is their safe place. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. Yeah. No, no, it's not. But um, absolutely, especially when there's family dynamics, when we're having, um, we're issues with trust. And I say trust, meaning like a literal, like a trust, like a fun trust, but Mm. also trust of the behaviors that come out when Mm -hmm. people are in pain, behaviors come out that really go down to a a, um, very instinctual level, right? This you versus me, um, this this is, this was my parent or my spouse or becomes my, very you know, primal. It's like survival yes, mode. Primal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And that's because we will do anything to avoid the pain. So we, right. we do what we think we need to, and sometimes avoid the help. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why it takes time. And there's One a point. Month, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, you know, a three month period after the loss of death, if this is kind of the grief we're focusing on, uh-huh. looks a lot different than the one month or the one week. Yes. Because now the yes. phone calls aren't coming in anymore. Yes. People aren't checking in. The first so, year, we say, is usually the hardest because you have to get year. through all the holidays, all holidays, the birthdays, exactly. all the anniversaries. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And this abandonment of like people will always, the cavalry will come in at the immediate, but yeah. what remains after? You know, what happens when the wife goes and the, the, something breaks in her house and her husband was always the person who yes. took care of it. And yes. now, you know, these things that we just, yep. we really don't know until we go through it. Well, the um, title of this show is Death by a Thousand Cuts, because that's how oh, I see yeah. grief is, you know, it just, yeah. the, 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 the impact just keeps coming in so many yes. different ways, you know, that you can't fully anticipate especially if that person was really significant and an integral part of, of your life and your function. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We have this um, diagram of, of um, a box, right? And there's mm. a button on the side and there's a big red, there's a big ball. And at first the ball takes up every inch of that box. And that's ah, kind of the loss. I've right? heard this it's from my clients. Pushing on, re, yeah, I can't mm-hmm. remember. I, yeah, and it's always pushing on the button. But over time, the ball gets smaller, but it's always in the box. Yes, yes. And um, it's just, it ends up being like that game, that pong, right? Where it's just bouncing back and forth. And at any day, at any given moment, it could push that button. Can we allow ourselves this time, the space, the pause to feel? To grieve. To grieve. To have our own grief journey. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, To let the pain out. Mm -hmm. Don't let the pain out. What what advice do you find yourself commonly giving um, people uh, who are in the process of dying 
So these, this is mm-hmm. two questions. People who are in the process of dying, like say your top two or top three advice, and, yeah. and also loved ones. What yeah, so um, what we find because of the context of relationships, it's a great question. Mm-hmm. This issue of permission, mm. right? Giving permission, and that goes both ways for the ones who are going to remain living and for the one who is dying. But it's there's permission to let go. Ah, and that's, again, gotcha. that's tied into the fear, right? That's right. super scary because right. what does that mean? And then the permission for the, for the one who is living, who will remain living, to let them go. Yeah. yeah. If we can understand that level of connection mm-hmm. and the significance and how, you know, souls-wise, you know, and not everybody falls on that spectrum. But for the most part, I mean, some people say, yay, you know what, when I'm dead, that's it. There's no, I'm never going to see you again. That that plays into people's core beliefs right. are really put on the front burner right, right there. Right. What do you believe? So I, if someone, I really try to draw out, do they believe that there is a life after this one? Do they believe that they'll be reunited? Because that helps how you, know? you that's help that I imagine that helps how you support them. It actually, it absolutely does. Right. If they don't have that foundational or help to figure it out, it will complicate this process, generally yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is our understanding of that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, we we do live in a culture and a society now where, you know, it's a, it can, well, I want, I want to take a little bit of all of it, right? I mm-hmm. want to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and I'll, I'll figure it out what it means to me. Well, death has a really good way of making you say, and what is it that you believe? Right. You know, right. what is it? Do you, um, but do you, yeah. do you find that people with a spiritual orientation tend to, uh, eventually get to a more peaceful place about their um, death? Yeah, I would say that generally is going to be true. That generally is going to be. That's my that, feeling about it, but I, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to check that out with yeah. someone like you with your Ab- experience. Yeah, absolutely. And that has, spirituality is about connection, right? Connection to, to each a other. Larger, connection to a larger world. source. Connection to, yeah, exactly, a larger source, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and and whether that source can be named, you know, this one or that one or however, it's right. the idea that we are connected to this planet. We're connected to every encounter that we have, that things just aren't circumstantial. Or whether that's karma, right? That's a right. that's a level of connection too. Right. What goes out comes back or what I attract or these ideas. So right. um I find that if there is someone who has a little bit firmer foundation Mm-hmm. When it comes to spirituality or or what they do believe right. and how this world exists in the world view, yep. um, that they have a better time um, implementing healthier coping strategies mm-hmm. like writing, you know, journaling. That's right. a big one. I recommend it all the time, but the amount of people that do it, that's a whole nother story. Exactly. Right? It's <laughs> not for everyone. Trust me. I no. try that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, or I mean, memory books, things that seem like, oh yeah, that seems simple. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. the use of symbols, rituals are very, you know, I make coffee every morning. That's a ritual, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's something like that. There's something about these processes that bring a peace to us and people who are a little bit more familiar with spirituality or open yep. to that mm-hmm. are probably more familiar in in and having a ritual of right. sort yeah you know it's being silent um, it's being silent mm-hmm. with yourself you mm-hmm. know i think that's part right. of what oh man the ritual right. brings to, for us yeah right right that being still it's about intention mm-hmm. it's about mm-hmm. you know um and that's a very scary place to go, especially maybe that person has had fractured relationships in every relationship. How do they even know what that looks like? Right. You right. know, thank you so much for being here. But lastly, you know, a lot of our, our, our listeners are of senior age um, and also a lot of uh, adults who may be already caring for um, a person who's ill or aging. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about um, what um, Seaport Hospice can do in, in the event that they mm-hmm. uh, find themselves in that situation and the best uh, way to contact them for more yeah, for resources and, and uh, information? 
Absolutely. Um, you know, something that does come to mind is that there is, we never, uh, can do any harm by making a phone call, right? Right. <laughs> it's not, it's not a, um, you, you don't know, have to commit to, to anything. Exactly. You Just don't, you getting don't. informed. That's exactly right. So that's kind of always the first and foremost that, that I like to say is that um, just reaching out and saying, hey, is this what we're looking at is um, always a good way to start. And I'll give the phone over there. But as you know, with Seaport, what you're going to find is is we have a team of people who want to walk alongside you in this process. And um, there are different levels of intensity, and whichever one that, that a person is going to best suit their needs, we're there to do it. Is it every day? Is it every couple of days? What can we do mm-hmm. to make um, your loved ones comfortable? You know, I, I mentioned that about pain is mm-hmm. one of the number ones. How can we provide respite for the caregivers, for the people? Yes. How can we just be an ear, a non-biased person? Yes. We don't know these families. Right. We get to know them, right. you know? And and that sometimes has, that eases the process for the person that we don't come with an agenda. We don't come with, you know, here's our plan and this is what it's in. Here's your assignment and this is how it's going to be. You we really try to, you. yeah, respect and, and honor right. what they want, what the family's exactly wishes, right. wishes are. That's yes. exactly right. And it varies, you know. Right. Um, and we have a, a very skilled team who is great at, and, and we bounce stuff off of each other too, you mm-hmm. know, like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, Maybe you might be better for this person or whatever. Um, we have right. a male chaplain. You know, we've had music therapy. We'll do music. We have we have volunteer services. Nice. Um, we have caregiver support groups, grief support groups. You know. Okay, um, that's good to know. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So, um, and then you know, in a in a couple of weeks, there's going to be. This is actually something that'd be really great. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Beautiful Dying Expo. No. In, um, on November 2nd at the convention center will be there, but there'll be, it's something that, and right. sounds just like what it is. This beautiful dying. It's just learning. It's just going and seeing. I love that. Reframing it, right. Reframing death and dying because it is the most, it is the one thing that we all know for sure. Right. And Woody Allen (laughs) saying death and taxes. taxes. (laughs) That's the truth. You know, I mean, humor, right? I I like to use humor a lot. It's just something that we all know it it is. What is, what do we want it to look like? What do we want it to be like? Right. Um, But it's a great resource in the community to just see what's available. Um, So Angela, um, before we, we, we end with you, what is the the number for, uh, to contact Seaport Hospice? Yes, Seaport. um, And we also have home health services too. So just the main line, um, maybe. Yeah, it is 858-634-5870. And do you guys have a website, seaporthospice.com, I imagine? It's it's Seaport Health, so www.seaporthealth.com. Our primary office is located in um, San Diego off Kearney Villa Road, but we do service um, pretty much from Oceanside down. Okay. <laughs> so Sounds Oceanside, good. East San Marcos, all of the, the entire San Diego County. Okay, great. Well, thank you again yeah. so much. I'm hoping that our listeners learned a lot, gained valuable information from you today. And like I said, um, we will definitely try to have you back here for a longer conversation, maybe even in person. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for having me. And um, Thank you for the work I, I, that you thank do. Thank you for the work that <laughs> See, we're so connected. I, I mean, I just honor the work that hospice workers do. One of my best friends does hospice work, and I told her, girl, I cannot do what you do. And she tells me, I can't do what you do. do so what you do, right? thank you um, for, for what you do. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I'll talk to you again. Okay, thank Bye you. Bye for now. Okay, folks, um, we have reached our inspiration corner, and our feature for today is, well... All of us. Yep, that's right. Because we all have experienced loss. We all have had to bear the pain, navigate the unknown waters, push through, and come out on the other side. You are a lot stronger than you think. You are more resilient than you realize. And to my family, um, who are currently grieving and in deep pain, I know we will get 
through it. We always have. To those currently in grief, you are not alone. Please reach out and seek support. Contact us if you live in California, uh, 619-823-1382, or go to our website, transcendtherapyca.com, transcendtherapyca.com, and as long as you're a resident of California, we can provide services to you. Um, you can also call your local crisis line for information about support groups and any, any kind of uh, grief-related services out there in the community. You don't have to be in crisis, by the way, to call a local crisis line, although that's primarily their purpose. They also have a lot of other resources. And in San Diego, that number is 888-724-7240, 888-724-7240. And I used to work there, and they have very, very talented, kind, caring clinicians. All right, there you have it, everyone. That concludes our show for today. This is Cecile Ahrens. You are listening to Get Mental. Again, for more info, go to our website, transcendtherapyca.com, and you now may also make a donation on our website. We now have the capacity for you to do that on our website. Just uh, go on the website and click the Get Mental Radio tab, and there should be a tab there. Um, because remember, this is a self-funded, community-funded show, and your support is greatly appreciated, and you will be making a difference in people's lives. It takes a village, and we are all in it together. So thank you again. May you live your life in presence to the fullest, and until next time, be well and be gentle. I believe that I can fly Would you come and float away with me tonight And if I believe, if I decide Would you come away with me, be unafraid to be here